0: Welcome to the Tech Savvy Professor podcast, two faculty who love tech and love making it part of their work. I'm Marty Gensius, an associate professor at Kent State University.
1: And I'm Eric Perry, clinical
0: faculty at Southern New Hampshire University. Today, we, Eric and I have had some conversations about what future shows are going to be about. And one that came up and that's present for a lot of us is AI. And how AI fits into the academic sphere and sphere, how it fits into the academic realm, let's call it that. So I don't have to deal with the, with the sound. Sphere. So so we've had conversations about how it's going to fit into the academic realm. And we thought this might be a multi-part series on AI. I know that's been a big conversation on campuses about its use and I don't know exactly how we're going to break it down. Uh, we've got some show notes that we're going to work off of today, but I think we need to start the conversation and I'm going to rely on Eric for this, uh, types of AI. How do you explain it to somebody, what it is, because there are faculty who see it as this big, scary thing and then there are faculty who see it as this big unethical thing and then there are faculty who see it as it's going to rob our brain cells and we'll all be drooling in the next 10 years yeah.
1: there's a lot of panic right this very kind of skynet response to ai for anybody who's familiar with the terminator movies um and i th- i think the best place to start out is to really define what it is and i think there's a lot of misconceptions about where we are and what the capability of AI is. And and AI really is just this idea of creating something that processes large amounts of data, looks for patterns, and takes more of a human process in terms of how it handles that data. Um, A couple of the things that you're going to hear terminology-wise related to AI is, is something called strong AI or weak AI. We don't have strong AI yet. And that's where something can take, a computer program or model can take something and solve a problem it has not been trained to solve or attempt to try to solve it. Um, That's what we're working toward in AI right now is that ability to to work on things that it it hasn't had data to provide it with a method. Um, Really where we are is, is a weak AI model. And that means it operates within the information that it can gather. So it takes all this information together and focuses on doing something really well. And there's a lot of examples of this I'll talk about in a minute. Um, Something else you might hear is machine learning versus deep learning. So machine learning is about uh, using algorithms and statistics and and existing data to improve on things uh, or to do this specific task really well. Deep learning is is more of what we're talking about, more of what we're leaning into about bringing more complex data and having things work more the way the human brain does in, 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 in this kind of neural network way. So you'll hear people talk about machine learning or deep learning as examples. Categorically, there are four types of AI. The first two we've accomplished and the last two we have not yet. So reactive machines are are the ones that kind of fit this machine learning. So it only interacts with the data in front of it. You give it the data, it processes things in a way that's algorithmic, it follows a model. Limited memory is is what AI is kind of in the state of right now. And that's, that's using data to make predictions. It can gather information, it can change its own model. It can start to adapt to the information we feed it, so to speak. Um, And it's continuously trained. So we start to hear more about that. The last two are theory of mind and self aware. So, theory of mind is this self uh, kind of reflective that um, it can impact its own behavior. Self aware is that AI we think of in sci fi, you know, something that has a consciousness. So, you know, those latter two, we're not quite there yet. We're working around this limited memory model. And things like ChatGPT, IBM Watson, um, the things that you tend to hear more of uh, work in this limited memory kind of way. Even things like Google Maps, Alexa and Siri, Snapchat have these algorithmic functions that they use. Um, if you're on TikTok, you hear a lot of people talk about the algorithm. The system learns what you watch and for how long, and tends to give you content that works well for you. That's an example of this primitive kind of AI. Um, you know, so that's that's what we're working around. And some of the terminology that you might hear from the technical end of AI, um, what we're going to focus on more so, I think, in our conversation is, is, you know, where does this live in academia? What is what does it look like uh, for faculty and students? Um, So I just wanted to set the stage with the kind of where we are Um, Skynet's not here yet. You know, this kind of functional AI is not here yet in terms of self-awareness, although you could program something to look really close to it. You know, if you're interested in AI and you're on TikTok or Snapchat, um, you probably see some pretty good representations of what looks like emotion in some of these kind of early, um, you know, robotic kind of simulations, but they're not actually thinking or self-aware. They just yeah, like
0: Hal Nine Thousand uh, right. Two Thousand and One. You know, you talk when you're talking about theory of the mind and you're talking about this self-awareness. I thought of of Hal uh, more so than Skynet. But uh, you know, universities have been starting to have conversations around this. Have you heard any particular conversations? uh from your connections
1: i have especially in the online well i won't say especially but being in the online space more so um it's, it's become a really hot topic and it's become a source i think for this this polarization that i'm starting to see happening between faculty who are really scared of the implications of ai uh, and what it can do yeah. and faculty who are are early adopters and who more so have an understanding that this isn't something we can avoid. We have to figure out how we work with this technology now. The example given that that there was a lot of panic around when we transitioned from having online resources for library articles and peer-reviewed journals versus actually physically going to the library and finding them. This is just a natural progression of technology that we need to learn to work with.
0: Yeah. And I try to keep reminding people that we've always made that adjustment, um, in our profession, um, and in, you know, at our universities, we've it's, there's growing pains, but we've made that adjustment. I know, uh, I've heard different universities are responding different ways. Some universities are very proactive and saying, we've got to lean into this. Students are going to use it. So how can we adjust our teaching to be able to incorporate it as a tool? Even if it's a tool that we use to help students think critically about data, like this is what chat GPT says about this diagnosis. How accurate is that? Where's the data on that? Um, getting students to think critically about using these kinds of tools. Um, at Kent State, uh, I, I'm not in the loop. Uh, Of it, Uh, but I understand there is some policy around the use of AI that is going through our educational policy committee, the EPC, and they're working on it. And and when they finish it, um, they'll send it to the faculty Senate and then the faculty Senate will revise it, argue about it, uh, talk about it eloquently for, for a long period of time. But folks, the cars, the cows are already out of the barn and it's almost as if the pace that we're trying to address it, those cows will be, you know, on our dinner plate before we actually get any policy that's effective and the whole system will change then, anyways. So there's a, there's a, a relatively slow response to, uh, how we're dealing with AI, for those of you in the counseling profession who listen to this podcast, the American Counseling Association has an AI task force and, uh, they have had a professional response to, uh, cautionary issues dealing with AI. And, um, the link for that is www.counseling.org slash knowledge. Dash center slash AI dash work dash group. And if you go to that link, uh, you will get to their recommendations for counselors and clients. So, in terms of the use of AI and what the cautionary and also uh, positive aspects of Uh, How AI can be integrated. Uh, So there's a public awareness piece that they've put out, and then there's a counselor awareness piece that they put out there. So it's nice to see programs and associations stepping up, beginning to uh, proactively address that.
1: And and I I think there's a lot of advantage. And I took a look at these um, when they came out. I remember getting the alerts on my phones. The EU AI Act. So the European Mm -hmm. Union has an AI Act. Um, There's an AI Bill of Rights uh, that was passed and an executive order, the Biden-Harris executive order on AI. Um, All of them kind of detail where the fears are um, and start to outline, you know, what are the ethical responsibilities that we see and really trying to put a a kind of a bubble around developers and and those working with AI to try and, and have some handle on what the ethics look like. Um, We're seeing this too in plagiarism tools, which I think is really interesting. So if you take a look at a lot of the big ones, um, like uh, Turnitin as an example, um, they have now AI tools to check papers for AI. Um, If you look deep enough into it, you'll find that these tools are really only about 20 to 30% in terms of efficacy, which uh, guesswork might be better for a, you know, a binary choice, not, not AI or AI, right? So (laughs) they're not very effective in finding these because AI, at least to the point of generating content in terms of, of giving it a prompt, right. In terms of chat GPT, um, it's come far enough now that that the writing can vary and you can give such diverse instruction to the AI um, that it generates content that doesn't follow the patterns. And there's, there's no, no really good indicator that these plagiarism checkers can can grab onto. So I think the problem that universities are running into and programs are running into is that the model for assessment has to change. This idea that we're going to be able to to enforce um, the use of AI or you know on students not using AI is really kind of already sailed. Like you said, the, yeah. the cows are out to pasture already. So we need to think about truly how we assess and how we leverage these tools. You
0: know, when it first came to our campus, I attended a workshop on AI and it was loaded with English rhetoric instructors who were screaming, this will be the death of us. And it's sort of like, this is a new tool. I'm, you know, there are lots of professions that have been drastically shifted because new technology or new tools come along that people don't use anymore. Um, like. What happened to typewriters? I mean, standalone typewriters with ribbons, uh, they rarely exist except for old aficionados who insist on doing all their, their, uh, their writing that way. But that profession had to shift uh, and, uh, they had to look at different, look at the new tools and how it, how they're being used. So, yeah, I think every time we build a wall, someone builds a, a larger ladder um, to get over the wall and find ways around it. Uh, faculty responses for me have been things like, um, it scares me. Um, I I feel like I'm cheating when I use it is a, is an interesting response. They (laughs) haven't quite incorporated that lean into attitude of this is a new tool. Um, and other responses are, what are we going to do? Uh, our students are going to be using this. This is terrible, and you know it comes back to something you alluded to when you said we're going to have to think about different ways of teaching and different ways of assessing knowledge with students. So you know, in my mind, term papers term papers become irrelevant um, in a lot of ways. There's there's other action oriented ways in which to assess students. Uh, abilities um, than necessarily writing a term paper, um, because a lot of the information gathered and collected in that uh, can be gathered and collected using AI, and um, I don't think uh, I don't think it fits kind of the future workforce in terms of that skill set. So, are, are there ideas about how you're using AI? Are you willing to share? Yeah. I,
1: I, I'm still stuck on the, it feels like cheating. <laughs>
0: <It's>, <laughs> okay. It's, I, yeah. I, I'm some, I was at dinner with someone and they said, you know, I'm, I've used it. I'm interested in it, but I, it feels like cheating. Like and, I'm and, cheating. Like I'm somehow violating some, something I don't know.
1: It's interesting because I, you know, I talk about a lot that I don't have the. The recall to just give you a statistic that i read even two mm-hmm. days ago you know i have to go back and reference that material i just my brain doesn't work that way yeah. I, I can grab all the material you want and synthesize if i have it in front of me and and pull it together but i'm not going to quote shakespeare to you i'm not going to quote you know these prolific things to you uh, out of memory unless it's something that really really sticks uh you know so for me i i think it's, it's really interesting that we look at this resource differently than we look at things like encyclopedias and searches and databases because there's something else helping with the search process. And a lot of these things we've used so much to this point that we haven't realized are AI tools uh, or have this AI integration. Um, I think that we've hit this kind of this precipice now where we, we have to start looking at this. Uh, I really like it for testing out my own uh, curriculum development. So if I have a prompt, you know, for an assignment, uh, I'll throw it into Chat GPT and see what it does with it. Um, what I would expect to come out of it. Uh, it's great for generating ideas. I've generated a couple of case studies with Chat GPT uh, for a career counseling course in particular that was a lot of fun. Um, because you can you can continually tweak it. So, you know, I want this many characters. I want this kind of scenario, and it it will craft something for you. And then I could add my own details and mix it in. Uh, I just think it's 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 definitely different from looking in a book and that you can prescribe what you want, but it also needs to know what it is you want to get out of it. so there there's yeah. there's an engagement and interaction with it that I think learning can be really helpful
0: yeah, I've always talked about writing from writing from the inside out. It's sort of you start where you're familiar and expand. And for me, I've used uh, chat GPT um and I pay the extra money um, to get four. And I use it uh, for case vignettes. And the thing is, I can just say, create a case vignette. Here are some points da 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 and I everything I just kind of toss in in a prompt and then press return. And it'll create a case vignette. And like you said, you can go in and say, yeah, let's add a cultural component to this. And it'll regenerate it with a cultural component. Um, There are, you know, I generated one last night that talked about a psychologist. And so I said, switch the psychologist to a counselor. You know, simple things like that that would have to edit. But if I had all of those things in my head that I wanted and I had to work through it in a linear fashion to create the case vignette, it would take me a long time to do that. Whereas I've been able to use um, AI to generate that and then scope it, correct it, make some changes in it in a couple of minutes. I mean, it's it's pretty cool. And that vignette is going to be used in a class or in a comps exam for a student. So it's not like I'm going to take it and publish it Um, in, in a public uh, venue and not give credit to AI as generating that vignette. Um, so yeah, creating, creating case vignettes. I also use it for letters of reference. I hate to say that to all the folks I might've written letters of reference to, but I've got a template that I've written for male student who did these things with me. And then when I get a request from a female student, I will put in the conditions that I want in it. And I will say, here are some significant work that we did together. So I, I give quite a a detailed prompt and then I say, use the template that I'm going to include here and convert it to fit with this case. And it does a pretty good job. Um, and it saves me from that whole construction, even the simple things like a lot of my letters are gender identified as he or she, him or her. And, you know, once you identify that in the prompt, it goes through and it changes all of those, um, all of those pronouns, um, to the proper gender in terms of, in terms of language. Whereas if I'm copying and pasting it, I'm going to miss one of those. Um, you know, so it, it works as a pretty good tool for, for letters of reference. I do have to give it a lot of context around the student and remove any context in the prompt that I don't want from the template. Um, so that's one, one way I've used it. Um, because after you've written 50 of those letters of reference, they get pretty tedious to have to write. Yes, they do. And,
1: and I think it speaks to the the idea here that this this is a, a tool for efficiency that can be helpful, that can uh, you know really influence processes that allow for time to be spent in places that that, um, you know, Chat GPT can't be helpful with. Man. So you know, I, I when we look at it this way, what we're talking about is is the ethical use of the tool. And I think a lot of the discomfort comes from the fact that there isn't this check to balance that ethical behavior, that there's definitely a lot of open spots Mm -hmm. where this could be used in a way that, um, you know, is unethical. That, you know, like you mentioned, to create something that's not yours, uh, that doesn't come from you, that's not attributed properly. Um, And that's kind of always been the case. You know i i think if you know we talk about i think about online a, a lot um you know these kind of plagiarism trackers for copy and pasting things online but somebody else could write my paper that necessarily yeah. mean chat gpt needed to do it um there's things you recognize from students like voice in, mm-hmm. in their written word um, that you need to be more attentive to you can't rely solely on plagiarism trackers and those types of things. And I think this kind of gold standard of uh, the paper, the term paper demonstrating knowledge uh, really is going to go by the wayside because there's going to be no way to really substantiate that it is the student's work, um, at least after a period of time.
0: And maybe in the next show, we'll drill a little deeper into how it's, because there are some things that I do with prompts that I'm happy to talk about on this that will uh, guide people. Because the most effective response you're going to get is the one that's well-prompted. And um, I'll give you a couple other uses that I've used it for, and I full disclosure, so the people I'm doing it with know that I did this. Um, I, I'm on a couple of boards. And on one board, they've asked me to work with developing a strategic plan for the association. And so I've got a team. And so I use Chat GPT to guide me. I put in it's this association, this is the type of work that they do. This is it's nonprofit, et cetera, et cetera. Develop a strategic plan with different domains broken into domains and with activities that would fit under those domains. And it developed a strategic plan with 12 domains with about five activities that fit into each domain, including, you know, publicity, things like that. And then I took that document, full disclosure, sent it to the governing council and said, this was generated from chat GPT. What does the governing council think are important areas for us to work on as we create a strategic plan? And they sent back three of them and they said, this is what we want your strategic plan committee to focus on for the next strategic plan. Um, Similarly, I used it in, uh, I had a product idea for an association that I'm working with and I knew that I had to put together a proposal for them with the product and Asked chat GPT using a series of prompts to engineer a product development proposal for me around this particular product that I'd like to create. It did a wonderful job now then, it, that went to the governing council of that association and, um, they are making some decisions on what they would like from the product or what the questions they have around the product and things like that. So. Uh, just found it as a, I see it as a thinking tool. I mean, it helps me think through things, um, in a way that, uh, helps me generate more ideas. Even if it's like, you didn't quite get it here, please correct this using this. It it helps me clarify what I'm trying to say in in what I put out. So.
1: Yeah. I think they're great examples.
0: Yeah. And it, you know, I'm, transparent with these things when I do them. Um, and I don't do them in scenarios where, um, ethics of ownership would be in question. Um, oh, right. and ethics of plagiarism would, would be in question. Um, so answer I, uh, do you have any closing ideas on, on this before we go to the next, uh, the next episode?
1: I don't think so. Not without digging into kind of where we want to go with this. Um, I think it's been a good enough primer and kind of introduction to to AI, and I'm excited to talk about the faculty and the student lens.
0: Yeah. Oh, cool. Very good. That's that's we'll, we'll need to talk off show about where we go next, but uh, we look forward to hearing more ideas from you about the use of AI in uh, higher education. How can listeners get involved? Have you got a tech question? Are you trying to figure out how to do something with technology? Or do you have an idea to share? Email us at thepodtalknetwork@gmail.com or call and leave a message at 330-333-1240. And we'll play your question in the podcast and try and get an answer to you. Our bumper music is from Philip Gross, Rast from the Free Music Archive. That's it for today's show. Thanks for subscribing to the Tech Savvy Professor podcast. Everything you need to know is at techsavvyprofessor.net. You can find us by searching Apple Podcasts for the Tech Savvy Professor. Look for us on Spotify, TuneIn, Google Play Music. Look for our other shows like Circular Firing Squad on thepodtalk.net. Thanks for listening to the Tech Savvy Professor.